Welcome to Science Radio, a space where we chat about culture, belief, wellness, and current events, all through the lens of faith. Welcome to another episode of Science Radio. My name is Anita and this is my comrade, co-host, Jesse. And today we have with us Lachlan Townend, who is a physiotherapist from the Gold Coast. Uh, welcome to the show, Lachlan. <laughs> Hello. Today we're returning to an issue that was in our June issue and it is also on our website and it is an article that Lachlan wrote called your faith will make you well, dot, 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 slowly. This is a topic I think is really interesting. A lot of people ask, if God is real, then why is there so much suffering and sickness and pain in the world? And this can be a really big pain point for people who live with ongoing pain or, or see people suffer. And so today we're having a conversation about that. We certainly don't have all of the answers, just to clarify, but we're diving into this idea of how faith can bring healing from pain maybe not instantly, but over time. So Lachlan, do you want to give us just an idea of what inspired you to write this, where it came from? And yeah. You just, I think you just touched on it, Zanita. That I think it's, it's such a big problem, especially like pain that persists, which is the term that we use instead of chronic pain, because it gives this idea of intensity, whereas chronic pain actually is supposed to be in duration. So pain that persists is a big problem. One in five people in the states and and one in five people in australia i just said the states because the research is actually from the states but it's actually consistent mm. here suffer from persistent pain so it's all my world's colliding i brought up a person of faith in in an adventist family and yeah so it's my wrestle with theodicy or this idea of why is there suffering if god is good with my profession which is physiotherapy and the suffering that I see day to day in that. And then some personal experience weaved in there with my own dealings with these questions and my own struggle with pain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's like a combination of things that made me want to write it. And uh, I love reading. I'm a big reader. And there was a, there was a few books that sparked my, because I, you know, I love this area of faith and science and faith and healing. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. yeah, awesome. Yeah, it's crazy how you mm-hmm. say one in five people. I remember when I read the article, I was like, what? That is huge. <laughs> yeah. If people don't yeah. talk about it, there's stigma with mental health that's improving mm-hmm. and changing. The stigma around persistent pain is definitely there and it comes from, in big part, I think a misunderstanding of what pain is and mm-hmm. how it operates. One of the places that you start with the article, Lachlan, is in the idea of healing in the ministry of Jesus. And if those of our listeners don't know, healing is a big part of Jesus' yeah. ministry when he was on this earth. He healed so many people from a, a wide range of different uh, ailments, whether they be mental or physical or both. And I'm always fascinated a little bit by this idea of supernatural healing, especially as it relates to my faith walk, because yep. I I think we all can identify with the the person in our faith community is sick, maybe something that's terminal or something that's persistent or whatever the case may be. And you pray and you anoint and you do all these things that you're told if you do these things like a magic formula, God will heal that person. And mm. Sometimes it works, but in my experience, 
it mostly hasn't ever worked. And you mentioned theodicy and obviously it's such a huge topic. So I guess my question is, as you were thinking through these ideas, what were you thinking through? What were you wrestling with in, in this whole thing? Yeah, so I have a very similar experience um, to yours, Jesse, in that I still believe supernatural healings, but experientially they're sort of lacking in my life. And so when I'm reading the Gospels and I'm saying, and I'm hearing Jesus say, your faith has made you well, your faith has made you well, your faith has made you well, I wrestle with that and then I thought maybe there's an alternative of the way that faith can actually make you well. And, yeah, sometimes it's going to be instantaneous, miraculous healing. Neither have I. I haven't experienced personally, but still have faith and believe that is possible. But in other times, perhaps that happens in different ways. And so this is giving, when I wrote the article, it's giving an alternative picture of how that could the mechanics of how that could actually happen and how that statement is true even in a different context of those miracles that were clearly supernatural. But it's also like my industry is, it's very based around naturalism, the laws of nature, the laws that govern the world. And so it's, for me, it's speaking to a skeptic mm-hmm. as well and explaining to them look, there's another alternative of how faith can have an impact on, on someone's healing and recovery. Hmm. I guess in your your experience yeah. as a physiotherapist, is that something that you've been able to like share with your clients or your, do you call them clients, patients? Like, yeah, no, clients, clients is actually really, I, I think that's a, right the way. best way to put it. Patients sounds like there's a bit of a yeah. power dynamics. I actually yeah. like clients. <laughs> I'm there to serve them. Sorry, so with your question? clients, is we that got... something that like your faith and this idea yeah. of faith bringing healing, is that something that you've been able to share with them and that you've seen help them in their journeys? Yeah, that's a tricky one. That's something that I've been, uh, I've become more bold in early on. It's, it's definitely frowned mm. upon <laughs> to, to bring up supernatural and, you know, it's like me writing this article is like somewhat career suicide. A whole bunch of people got onto it. Or it could potentially be. Maybe not. Maybe they're more open. But yeah, it's a very hard space to actually do that. That said, I always, so I do tie it in a lot these days. So if someone's openly a person of faith, mm-hmm. then yeah, absolutely. I talk about it. And if, if they've shared that with me, but one of the ways, like, I put it in there is I talk to them about the relationship with stress and pain and how, you know, what is your way of de-stressing? And, and I say, I give them options. You know, maybe you're a person of faith and prayer is a way that you can, can let go of your worries and your concerns. Maybe you meditation is a way that you can do that like there's multiple ways and i I, that sometimes opens the conversation for that Hmm. yeah if i would love to part of me writing this article is i would love to see more people of faith because like i want to be faith affirming to them but also help them along that journey when Hmm. they are suffering 
I guess you also mentioned before yeah. how that journey of healing can look different, which I think you're t- tapping into with what you just said about different ways of dealing with stress. Is that what you mean when you say faith can look or healing can look different to what we expect? Is that what you're meaning, dealing with stress? Or I'm meaning like it doesn't, as a person of faith, if it doesn't happen instantaneously, miraculously, mm-hmm. it can happen in yeah. other ways. Um, faith can make you well in other ways. I think that's what where mm-hmm. I was going with that. Yeah, because I think it's important for us to designate the different almost mm-hmm. categories, which I don't know. I, I feel like I shouldn't do that when it comes to things, to matters of faith, but it's natural for us as humans to want to put things in different categories. Like when you're talking about faith healings that as people of faith on this podcast, we believe in, there's nothing that you in your profession or a doctor or a nurse or any other kind of therapist can really do to influence that outcome. If God chooses to do that Mm. outside of the purview of your work. But I think what I am hearing you saying is that there are ways that maybe spirituality and faith can work with the practical sciences that can actually complement rather than compete with the work that you do. Yeah, exactly. And I think the context around it, I think it gets confusing for people because their understanding of pain is actually inaccurate. Um, And I think that's where the confusion sometimes, and I probably, when I look back and I actually haven't, I haven't read it since I've just been like, I put it out in the world, I'm not going to change now and stop being a perfectionist because I'm a perfectionist. So I actually haven't really looked back on it, but yeah, the understanding of pain is really pivotal pivotal to, okay, how does that work? Why why could that be helpful? Mm. And I think it might be helpful to, like, for your listeners, if they have read the article, to touch on that. Yeah, Do go, mind? tell us. But it, just a little <laughs> bit. Just a little bit. <laughs> I won't bore you with all the signs, but I'll try to explain it. Um, so that the, the predominant view comes from um, Rene Descartes. He's a, he, he was a philosopher. And the idea was that you get a stimulus in the body and the picture, the famous picture that's painted of this is someone touching a fire yeah. with his foot or something. And the signal is sent up to your brain and that is what pain is. So there's a, rela- there's a linear relationship with, this, with the amount of stimulus. It's like a one-to-one relationship. You get one lot of stimulus, you get one lot of pain. And that's the most commonly held understanding of how pain works <laughs> and it actually is really inaccurate. And we know this, you would know this in, intuitively, that, that means that the amount of pain that you get is equal to the amount of damage that has been done. And we all know that paper, cut, paper cuts hurt like <laughs> crazy. And sometimes you can give yourself a decent cut, like with a, with, when you're cooking, and there's more damage that's been done, but the pain sometimes is not even as bad. And so this one-to-one relationship with the tissue damage and pain has been completely destroyed. And there's heaps and heaps of examples of this. One example is this story of a guy, true story, and it's, it's written up in, in journals and all sorts of things. He comes into ED, he's got a nail through his boot, and he's in agony. And he gets into ED, 
They're like, we can't just rip the guy's shoe off because the nail will come out with it. We need to cut it off. As they're cutting his shoe off, they realize that the nail has actually not gone through his foot. It's gone through his, between the web space of his big toe and his other toe. <laughs> Ooh. And so it's completely missed. He hasn't perforated any of his foot, no tissue damage. But the pain is there and the pain is real. The experience of pain for this guy is real. He's not crazy. This is the nature of pain. So pain is always, and this gets uncomfortable for people, but there's always a lot of pushback. And I think it's just because it's a well-held belief. Pain is always an output of the brain. So really what's happening in pain is that you're getting this sensory input, sure, from the body. And rather than it being a damage signal, it's really a, a danger mm. signal. And your brain then uses that, that input and it says, oh, have I been through this before? Uh, is this okay? So there's a whole bunch of different things that it's probably too much time to go into too much depth with, but that basically says, okay, is this dangerous? And do we need to act? For instance, pulling your weight, pulling your finger away from a hot object, or is this okay? And the output of all of those processes, which are more complicated than we had time for, is what pain is. So pain, like the the pain, is an unpleasant experience that of actual or potential or perceived damage. And that doesn't matter whether you've rolled your ankle or you've fractured your leg or whatever. It's all produced by an output of the brain. And that's why for a similar injury, people can feel different degrees or intensities Mm -hmm. of pain. I had a weird experience with pain about a year ago. I rolled my ankle while I was just walking along a pathway. It was slippery and it hurt and I shook it off a little bit. And I just kept going because I had somewhere I had to go. I was actually coming to work. And so I came to work. I was standing at my desk because my desk can stand. And then I sat down. Mm. And when I sat down, that's when the pain started. It was like it was a delayed reaction. And the pain that I felt when I rolled it was different to when I like sat down and like it was sort of a week after that, which was not pleasant. The other thing I was going to ask was about degrees of sensitivity there's like that whole cliche about how women go through childbirth and men wouldn't be able to handle it because the intensity of the pain but we also outside of that cliche which i don't know if that's true or not necessarily i know that there have been pain machines that people have been hooked up to simulate the experience do different people experience pain differently depending on their physiological attributes how does that work that's, that's a very extremely complicated <laughs> question to answer accurately because for the same person, a particular stimuli would cause different amount of pain depending on their experience. So, for instance, if someone hypothetically threw a ball and had sudden, like they, they tore their rotator cuff, let's just say that happened, and then if that same person bends down and picks something up and their back hurts. Now... Those two stimulus might be the exact same thing. They might be the same amount of tissue damage. But what's, what makes it different is, say their mum has debilitating back pain and she now can't function and they're going to get more pain 
with their back than with their shoulder. If they've had positive experiences, people that have healed in their life from shoulder pain, people that, or maybe their own experience with shoulder pain that's recovered in the past, their pain experience will be more intense with the back pain because of the experiences they've had and a whole bunch of different processes. So even within the individual, different stimulus can cause different pain levels, Hmm. if that makes sense. There are people, interestingly, Jesse, that don't actually experience pain at all. And you might think, oh, that's a real blessing. It's Mm. not a blessing. It's terrible because they get no input Mm. danger. These people don't live very long. They live, I'm not sure exactly how long they live, but they don't live late into adult life. They die very early. And it's because they don't have this danger response or danger signal that Hmm. is pain. And so they don't respond to it. So it's a complicated question. I don't think, I I don't think people should use it to lord over another person. Like I'm less sensitive (laughs) than you are because it's more, it's more complicated than that. Yeah. Yeah. And it can be a double-edged sword as you said. Yeah, exactly. And this stuff is fascinating. If you look up mirror glass therapy, they basically, what they do is they give the person a prosthetic limb and they don't tell them that it's a prosthetic limb. The individual thinks that it's their limb. And the the way they do that is they use this mirror to make it look like both of their hands are sitting there in front of them. And you can basically, you can touch the prosthetic limb and the individual, what they do initially to condition them is that they'll rub, they'll, they'll stroke both. So they'll map it out for the person. They'll stroke the prosthetic limb and their actual limb. And then what they do is they take the stimulus away from the actual limb and now they're just doing it all to the prosthetic limb. And the prosthetic limb, the actual limb, sorry, will react to the stimulus on hmm. the prosthetic limb. Draw away and they're, like it, they'll put a knife through the prosthetic limb and the pain response is as real as if they were putting it through the actual hand and the response, even physical action response is the same. So this stuff is like, you can just Google that. It's real and it's weird and it's more complicated than what meets the eye. Um, and yeah, so the, the, the common old held belief is still the Rene Descartes. One bit of stimulus equals one bit of pain. Um, and so it's really hard because people think that you're saying sometimes is that, are you saying that this isn't a real experience, that this is all in my head and the experience of pain is real. Like it's as real, whether someone's rolled their ankle, been stabbed with an eye or has a persistent pain that's ever, or that has pain that's probably not in line with the, the amount of actual tissue damage that mm. has occurred. All the same experience. It's the most challenging experience to, to try to explain this in a way to people that, because I actually think done in the right way, it mm. brings hope to sometimes very hopeless situations. Um, but it yeah, needs to be mm. done in the right way. I guess we're like mostly talking about physical pain, which is, I guess, your field of expertise. But as you were talking, it's interesting because I've heard with like emotional pain with like grief or trauma or certain losses, whether it's like heartbreak or other things, the same parts of your brain actually light up as when you have a physical injury, which is quite interesting. And so it's like there's this idea of 
those things having a physical pain on us, just injury or a physical wound would, which I think is like just an interesting point to bring up when we're talking about belief altering our pain, because I think it can relate to both. Yeah. Yeah. Like there's an overlap between the two big time overlap to the point where the the neural pathways are so identical that they use the same medication Mm. to treat both persisting pain. So like your antidepressants will not just treat depression, they'll also treat physical pain. So yeah, there's a lot of overlap there. And yeah, lots like beliefs, expectations, memories, trauma, all of these things play into physical pain, obviously also play into mental pain as well. And I'm fascinated by this because I actually, I wonder whether, I do wonder whether I have all these hypotheses that haven't been tested in rigorous science. And I'd love to, if someone's listening and they want to give me a crack, there's a few barriers in the way to me doing like a PhD, but if someone, because I just want to do something I'm passionate in. And I'll tell you what, it's pretty hard to find someone that's going to support this kind of research being done in this field, but. What I'm passionate about is, yeah, the interplay between faith and pain and faith and mm. how they mm. they work into one another. Because what you're saying about beliefs, Anita, I, I have this hypothesis that if you believe, and I actually ask people this question, if you believe, if they, if they do acknowledge that they're a person of faith when they're in the clinic with me, I say, well, what role does your God have in all of this? And, and I have this hypothesis that if they believe that God is directly causing their pain for whatever reason, that it, that it will be their experience and the intensity of their pain <laughs> will be worse. I also have the hypothesis that like a God that the picture of God that they have can actually impact the physical pain that they experience. So. I have the hypothesis that if you believe, one, that the God is choosing to do it, that there's no real choice or autonomy that you have in and of yourself and a God that's vindictive and wants to burn you in hell forever will def- will change the intensity or increase the intensity. And these are backed up by, by science, but not directly. So they don't let you in the world of science they struggle to let you just go oh because it's well established like for instance i talk about lisa miller and her work on spirituality and depression in the article and so she's worked out that spirituality is helpful in depression and it reduces your risk of depression and all of these things and we know that people that are depressed often are more likely to have pain, persistent pain. But science doesn't let you make that leap. It, it needs you to then go and, that's a hypothesis, let's hmm. actually look at it. And so I haven't hmm. even, but I haven't, haven't actually been able to observe it in a rigorous scientific or ha- haven't seen anyone else that has done it either. Hmm. I think the biggest paradigm that I'm it's shifting for me right now is that whole idea of, as you mentioned, it's all in your head, because that's a phrase that we so often use in our culture about just get over it. You're imagining the problem, the problem's not real or whatever. Mm. 
you're experiencing bodily or mentally or both. It's just a figment of your imagination when in mm. actual fact, the mind and the body are connected in yeah. a way that is just, okay, we've got mind and we've got body, but then mm. as people of faith, and I don't know if this is going beyond what you've been thinking about, but as people of faith, there's almost like this awareness of a separate dimension or a separate sense that is the spiritual sense or the spiritual plane or very ethereal and <laughs> a little bit less well-defined scientifically for a reason. What's, yeah. what's Have you thought about that sort of interplay? We've got the physical, we've got the mental, and then there's the spiritual element. How do those work together or do they? Yeah, I think, so Rene Descartes, he, his world was dualistic. He had the body and he had the, the mind or the brain. And we've rejected that. It, there's, this dualism is, doesn't exist and they, they, there's interplay between both of them. And they're one in a way. And I actually think the same about the spiritual and the natural. I think, yeah, we are... We're both, as in, not we're both, how do I put this? It's a really challenging question, <laughs> Jesse. Sorry, mate. You've both been doing some really challenging <laughs> ones. I, like we, as an Adventist, I reject this idea that there's, that we have this spiritual and we have this natural element. That's what you call anthropologic dualism, which basically means that mm. there's there's a good part of humans and then there's an evil part of humans. And yeah, I think I actually it's fascinating that I actually think that understanding of that rejection of that that I as an Adventist hold is consistent with what we're learning what with what we're learning in pain science area. I know that's not answering your question exactly. No, I think I think you've actually just touched on something really fascinating because I think for our listeners who don't identify as Christian, they might have an assumption that we just believe the same as a lot of other Christians in that Platonism or Platonic-influenced mm. worldview of you have your body and then you have your soul and when you die, it's going to float up into heaven somewhere mm. and sit on a cloud or float down into hell and be tortured forever. And yeah, as Adventists, we reject that that notion. Mm. And I think we're far closer to the Jewish understanding of the integration of body and spirit that we are one one unit. I think I've heard the term an integrated unit that we are not a disembodied, we don't have disembodied yeah. parts that can be separated yeah. that it's actually one and the same. And so I guess that that spiritual part, I think even for some Christians, yeah. some of us have an easier time than others in engaging in that spiritual aspect of ourselves. Many of us yeah. still want to be all in our heads. Yeah. Whereas others have more of a yeah, an easier time engaging yeah. in the spiritual. Honestly, mate, we don't live out our theology. I thought we'd straight honest. I'd like we have this real fear of feelings and real <laughs> that I don't actually think is consistent with our understanding of of who we are as people. Yeah. It is it's interesting. Can you expand on that a little bit? What do you mean by we're not 
living our feelings or we're not. <laughs> I haven't thought about this for a while. <laughs> I guess what I mean is you say that the, like, the body and the soul are one and so one affects the other. And what the platonic thought is is that the body and so like soul for people is often interchangeable mm-hmm. with mind, although it's very kind of abstract to think about. But what the anthropologic dualism, which is like we're two, we're, we're body plus mm-hmm. soul, and these combine for human. Whereas like we think we're body times soul, and you take one away and, and it's gone. So it's one and the same thing, it's connected. And so what that led to for the dualist way of thinking is the body's evil and therefore let's torture it or let's whatever to appease God and to uphold the spiritual, which is good. The body is bad, the spiritual is good, and so we need to do something about this. And it led and and it leads to yeah, a lot of unhealthy relationships between the body and mm. yeah, the soul. And I think we sometimes may also have this unhealthy relationship with at times the yeah the body and the mind um, and mm. how they interact. Even mm. so that's the reason that Adventists were really keen on health is because we reject this dualism that says the body's evil. And yet I think when it comes to like feelings and emotions, which clearly affect mm-hmm. the body, we're a bit like, oh, let's not go there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're not allowed yeah. to feel. <laughs> that, yes, that makes I sense. That yeah. explains it. Yeah. I know we're throwing you under the bus with some of these questions. <laughs> the conversation is good. That's why. Yeah, and honestly, like I, I, I have this idea, like that usually it's just questions and discussions. Like when I do a Q&A with people, like in Sabbath school when we do Q&As, it's, I, I like Q&D because really, yeah, you'll find some answers mm. within it and that's great. But I'm not saying that I know, like we know <laughs> The yeah. answers. I have thousands and thousands of questions, thousands more questions than yeah. I have answers. I guess just mm. one other sideline question I have when we talk about belief altering our pain. Are we talking about, yeah. obviously you were talking about this idea of your belief in God, whether you think he's creating this pain or whether you think he's good. Mm-hmm. For people who find themselves in pain, mm-hmm. is this about, because Jesse mentioned we don't have only Christian listeners, is this about like positive psychology and forcing ourselves to believe something better or more positive so that we experience less pain? Or is it, I don't know, I guess what is the method that we give to people who are experiencing pain when we're talking about belief? Positive psychology is probably a loaded term for people that are psychologists, so I don't want to overstep my boundaries and my lane, but I think there is definitely an impact of positivity definitely has an influence on pain. Now, does that mean you can positivity your pain away? I don't know if it's that simple, but for a person of faith, there are people that 
you know, deep all of this in desperation, these spiritual type healings, supernatural healings, and they're left without mm. healing. And that is the impact of that on psychology, faith, pain can be mm. devastating without the, the right understanding, I believe, of yeah, theology and who God is. Yeah. So let's get a little practical. You mentioned the work of um, Lisa Miller, who has done a little bit of research in this area. Toward the last part of your article, you talk a little bit about the practical ways that people can engage in the faith muscle as it relates to pain and to healing. I'm guessing, so as people of faith, we believe that there is a supernatural element to this. But the other thing you bring up is that there is also a psychological element, which as we've already discovered and discussed is in many ways just as important as the physical pain that we are experiencing through our nerve endings. Do you want to walk us through that that pathway of engaging in faith and how it can relate to somebody who's going through something real, whether it's an injury or persistent pain or whatever the case yeah. may be? Yeah, so the big researchers on pain science in Australia all come out of Adelaide, South Australia Uni, Lorimer Mosley and a few of his colleagues. And what they came up with is this thing, because it's a danger signal rather than a damage signal, they came up with this acronym called DIM and SIMS. So DIM is danger in me, SIM is safety in me. And... They use this as a way to, to help people and to treat pain and people with persistent pain to reinforce safety in me messages. And the way we do this physically in the clinic is often and probably my primary way of treating people, especially with like more persistent pain, is graded exposure and addressing belief systems and reorienting beliefs to more of a safety and my body's robust and I'm strong and I'm and it's not just done like from a you know pet talk coaching type point of view. It's also like experientially done because people have for instance, so a lot of people with back pain they like they think that their posture is the problem or cause the problem and they need to just like get a stronger core and they'll be fine. And these little experiments and, and the underlying belief there is that the, the spine is weak and fragile and and it's unhelpful. And research has busted this, though these myths prevail still. And so what I do is it will like experimentally I will say, let's just try something. What I want you to do, I want you to breathe out as you're bending forward. Like a lot of people with back pain get pain bending forward. And oftentimes what happens is they go, wow, that actually felt better. But they've had this unhelpful belief that their spine is fragile and needs protecting and so that leads to these like danger signals that go off while they're doing particular movements especially if they're doing it incorrectly and so like graded exposure is like a way of trying to uncouple those belief systems and pain and those movements and pain and progressively improve the safety in me messages that they're being sent now if you if we switch gears and we talk about faith and how that could impact that, I mean, it's huge. Mm. And I think like your cog will be turning right now as to, to how that, that, that might work. 
But if you live your life in a way that, like, there is no hope beyond this life and, yeah, like, you're going you're gonna to experience pain at a higher level, I believe. I <laughs> hypothesize. And, like, a lot of the things that we know in the pain science is, like, self-efficacy is important. Joy is important. Gratitude, peace, fear is like a massive impactor. If you obviously, that's where this safety in me, danger in me terminology comes from. And the scripture says, God, perfect love drives out fear. Like, I think there's huge implications here. And yeah, I'd love to be able to maybe st- study mm. these some, at some stage. But the fruits of the spirit. I love joy, peace, patience, kindness. These are all of these things. The pain researchers will say those things will mm-hmm. help pain. They will say that. Like, and so I 100% see the importance of, yeah, faith when it comes to pain. Now, obviously, some people have faith and they still have pain. And like, that's, I'm not saying that it's just going to heal all your problems. It's a complicated world that we live in. and But is it going to be helpful? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I guess that's it comes full circle where you're talking about faith can bring healing and how that can look different to what we expect. This is kind of the things that you're talking about in terms of the fruits of the spirit or joy or, yeah, all those things. Yeah, so that's why I was just like, and, and obviously at the church that I'm at, at the moment, we, we do quite a few anointings where people come with all sorts of different issues. And I'm a part of that. And I, like, I believe in the supernatural. Science doesn't, so science removes, like it's based around the laws of nature and it actually removes, like any supernatural event is excluded from research because the outliers are excluded from research. And I, I actually think, although the supernatural does exist, they are the rare events where God intervenes. They're still rare, but what research does, it actually gets rid of them because they're outliers and they will affect the data and it just excludes them completely. Actually, one, this is such a tangent, and then I'll probably not even answer your question, but a book that I read is called Cured and it's this guy that basically looks at the outliers and he says, why do we get rid of these Mm. people all the time? And he understands why. There's a good reason why we do this. But he goes, what are the, all these outliers mm. have in common? And it's a fascinating read. Is yeah, the commonality um, relevant to, to what we're talking about? What is that commonality that they had? Um, yeah, okay. faith is one. So he has a whole chapter on faith in that book. And I don't even think he's religious. I, it's like he comes from a very scientific perspective. Yeah. But that was actually one. That, that was one book that I was reading that sort of made me... Curious on. I got my cogs turning a bit more. Yeah. I think what I'm hearing here and what I'm really loving is that it doesn't have to be one or the other. I think that often on the secular side, scientists, as you said, more willing to throw out supernatural things. But I think on the flip side, Christians are often more willing to lean into the supernatural without paying attention to the scientific. And Am I hearing that right? Like we shouldn't ignore either side just because we lean toward one or the other. We should actually embrace both and see how they can work together. 
Yeah, absolutely. There's mountains of science that support what we hmm. believe in, <laughs> like around all sorts of things. I think most good science is faith yeah. affirming. And there'll be people out there that will say, that's just your bias and that's that's fine. There's probably some problems with science, which we just mentioned. <laughs> These like supernatural events, like they are outliers and they'll remove some from the science for very good reason. But the method is, it's easy to poke holes in something, but like find a better method. And that mm-hmm. is challenging. And so I think science is, is great. I think it's, Yeah. But obviously science that is good is great because they understand nuance. They understand like that it's complex, but they understand all of these things. There are some assumptions that some science I think brings to the science that makes it unhealthy Mm. or less accurate when it comes to like geology and stuff. The assumption is that they bring to the science to extrapolate on the age of the world and things like that is the assumption of that everything's uniform and it just happens like that over and over and over and over and over. And there's actually a lot of pushback against that. I was talking to a, a guy that's a geologist um, and a person of faith and he says that he's, he says there's actually a lot of pushback to that now because we know that catastrophic events do happen that change this uniformity, which is what they use to extrapolate out like the length of the yeah, how long the world existed and all that. So, yeah, there are certain assumptions, like assumptions that people bring to science because at the end of the day, the, the limitation is probably not as much science but humans. Like we have to hypothesis, we have to think up the question, and then we can look at it. But if we're not, for instance, maybe giving room for supernatural, we're not going to hypothesize the question. And we're not going to look up and do the studies that could potentially show mm. that. But it's complicated. I'm sure someone could pick holes in what I just said. <laughs> yeah, so it's complicated. <laughs> People can pick holes with anything, I think. Um, I think we, we can, as we've all said, we can all pinpoint stories where healing has come. But for the most part, from all of our experiences, it's more rare than not. And I think that's where the pain and confusion comes for a lot of people when prayers don't get answered and when pain persists. And you've you mentioned that this has been your experience and something that you've struggled with in your journey. Can you speak into, for anyone who is listening who is maybe at that point and who is struggling to hold on to their faith or believe in a God that is better, what can they actually do when mm. they find themselves in that place to hold on and to change their beliefs or to experience, I guess, what you're talking about? Yeah, I think if you believe that God is the direct cause of the suffering and the evil that you're experiencing, it's near impossible. <laughs> like, I, I just don't think it's possible to hang on to the faith in that circumstance. Whereas what I've come to understand is that, and this is how I personally cope with it, is I don't think he's the direct cause of those things. And that's where this theodicy thing fascinates me, like why is why is there so much suffering in the world if God is good? Because the way I look at it is that there's, <clears throat> and this can this might be the, the listeners that are not people of faith, this week maybe entirely new to you, but there's this cosmic conflict going on between good and evil. And the conflict is one 
not of like physical force or brute force because obviously God is all-powerful and he would win, but it's a conflict around his character. Um, God's character is he love as he claims to be. And that is, you can't use force to, to answer that question. If Zanita said that I'm a loser and she went around telling everyone, and I'm angry and I'm vindictive and then I went and just killed her, I would just go, oh, yeah, that's – Danita was right. <laughs> so what we're in now is the playing out of this conflict that takes time and it's suffering. And because one day I believe that every person will say God is good and God is love and – yeah, look, there's a lot of complexities and unanswered questions in all of that, but I don't directly attribute pain and suffering mm-hmm. to God. And I think that allows me to hang on to mm-hmm. my faith. That's practically how I, it's, it sounds not really practical because it's really <laughs> belief, but belief plays into practice mm-hmm. big time. Yeah. So I guess for some people that would be just even starting by questioning what they believe in God. And yeah. 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 Absolutely. I love the way that you finish your article because you finish with this idea that we have a God who can empathize with us because he's experienced pain and suffering himself. Mm. He's gone through some of the worst pain that any human could go through in the crucifixion of Jesus. And that, when we experience pain in our own lives, it's not like he's some cosmic entity that is so far removed from our human experience that he just can't relate Mm. to us, that actually he became a human. And Mm. on that level, when we cry out to him, he understands. I I thought that was really powerful. If you feel forsaken by God and forgotten and abandoned, so did Jesus, like the creator of the universe hanging on the cross. He cried out, oh my God, why have you forsaken me? He can understand, he can relate into in the depths of despair and hopelessness that we all experience. And that, to me, is what allows me to hang on during what sometimes can seem, yeah, pretty awful. And Zan, we've got a mate that's in ICU and he's fighting for his life and if we directly attributed that to God then I don't want anything to do with him anyway (laughs) so the question's null and void in terms of how do you hold on to your faith because forget about it (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah, awesome yeah fascinating topic I'm excited to hear what you continue to learn about this and if you continue to dive into it deeper then Maybe we can get you back on to share what you found. <laughs> it is an, uh, an awesome conversation. Right. Jesse, do you have any other questions? No, I'm uh, I'm good. I can't wait to see what Lachlan's future <laughs> PhDs consist of. I'm yeah, keen. we'll see. See if someone, yeah, see if someone would mm-hmm. take me on. Announce it to the World Wide Web and maybe you'll awesome. get some traction. Yeah, and that's, your, that's partly your job, guys. <laughs> right. awesome. well, well, thank you again, Thanks. Lachlan. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, Thanks for having me. Great to have you. This episode was based on an article appearing in this month's Signs of the Times magazine. A print subscription is $28 a year or just $14 for a digital subscription. To find out more, 
visit signsofthetimes.org.au. This is an Adventist Media Podcast. 